0: Class of 2020, parents, faculty, rising graduates, welcome to commencement. You made it. This year is a little different. A difficult time to graduate because the traditional graduation day has been put on hold. So we're bringing it to you wherever you are because this is still your day, your moment. And now put your hands together. It's time to be inspired. This year's commencement speaker, the one and only, Melody Hobson. Congratulations, graduates. Commencement is a major rite of passage, and I bet you're having all the feels. Pride and joy in your accomplishments, appreciation for those who helped guide you, and disappointment that the ending came with such an unexpected plot twist. We all know how graduation is supposed to work. You put on a hot, scratchy robe, gather with your friends on a sunny day, ignore the speeches, then toss your cap in the air and shed a few tears as you drive away. I'm sorry you don't get to experience this milestone, but here's what you got in its place. Perspective. You're breathing. You acted in a way that protected others, and you sacrificed for the greater good. In the grand scheme of things, with the world reeling from the loss of life and the loss of jobs, missing out on senior week probably looks pretty insignificant. George Lucas once said, every person experiences tragedy. It's not a question of if, but when. He's right. And I'm not just saying that because he's my husband. The class of 2020 had a front row seat to a universal truth. Bad things happen. COVID-19 is a massive health crisis that has triggered a massive financial crisis. It's just like a natural disaster. Think of an earthquake triggering a tsunami. It's a heavy time. But don't anchor yourself to now. I promise this weight will lift. And I know this storm is not hitting everyone the same. It's a flurry to some and a blizzard to others. To those who come from families in extreme financial distress, I feel for you deeply. I have a six-year-old daughter. And when I look at her, I can't help but think, what if this had happened when I was her age? My mother and I might have been living in an abandoned building. You see, I come from a background of scarcity. I grew up in Chicago as the youngest of six to a single mom. I was literally mortified every time our phone was disconnected, the lights were shut off, or we got evicted. As a result, I felt a deep, gnawing need for financial security and to be in control of my own life. My childhood circumstances made me desperate to understand money. Not just how to earn it, but how to budget and how to invest it, how not to lose it, and how to responsibly give it away. If I could understand money, I could master it. This lifelong effort extends way beyond my professional life, and this quest is what I want to share with you today. Other commencement addresses focus on following your dreams or changing the world. Those are lofty ideals, but my childhood forced me to be brutally pragmatic. That's why I wanna talk about the two most measurable constructs in our culture, time and money. You've probably heard that time is money. Well, that's actually true. I'm going to show you why this is one of the most important equations that so few learn in a classroom. I'm also going to offer some real-world financial advice that could end up changing your world while you're busy changing the world. In our society, Mentioning money is considered gauche or tacky, although oddly, singing about money is okay. There are so many popular songs about money. I bet one just popped into your head. Like the OJ's, money, 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 money. Or maybe it was mo' money, mo' problems. Or Kanye telling us, I ain't saying she's a gold digger. Or Cardi B making it clear that she needs cheese on her egg. If we can sing about money... Why can't we talk about it? Consider all the late-night conversations you had with roommates about crushes, hobbies, sports, music, life. How often did a serious conversation about investing come up? Probably not that often. But if we're being honest, money is a big part of why you attended college in the first place. It wasn't just to get a good education. There's wealth in that piece of paper with the fancy font. Not to mention, there's a direct correlation between a diploma and income. That's why so many of you went into debt. And let me assure you, of all the debt you can amass, college debt is the best because it usually pays for itself. So where does this discomfort about this subject come from? I believe it starts with a lack of knowledge. Few of us learn about finances at home. When it comes to conversations with their kids, parents say they would rather discuss sex and drugs than money. High schools still offer woodshop classes, but no standard courses in financial literacy. This makes no sense. How many people whittle in their spare time? These days, schools lecture on everything from responsible drinking to the finer points of recycling. Now, these are important lessons but so are finances. Money matters are unavoidable. There are two constants in life, family and money. Good luck trying to avoid either. I also think people avoid talking about money because cash has this reputation for being cold and hard. But in reality, money stirs deep emotions. Joy, shame, excitement, greed, anger. Did you know that financial disputes are the leading cause of divorce? Humorous Louis Grizzard once said, instead of getting married, he was just going to find a woman he didn't like and give her a house. Let's accept that our feelings about money will not always be rational. To that point, money has become a polarizing issue in our culture. I've experienced both poverty and plenty. I've seen the glorification and vilification of money up close, and I categorically reject both extremes. We should not stigmatize those who are struggling, nor condemn those who are successful. It's so distressing that a democratic society anchored in capitalism would castigate individuals simply on the basis of their bank account. If too rich or too poor is unacceptable, what is just right? In my view, it's not what you have or don't have, it's what you do. The OG billionaire Andrew Carnegie built over 2,500 public libraries. The Rockefeller family helped fund the discovery of penicillin. More recently, Bill and Melinda Gates are leading the charge to wipe out malaria as well as polio. And I wanna be clear, generosity is not just found in the wildly rich. I love the story about Osceola McCarty, who was born in Mississippi in 1908, forced to drop out of school in the sixth grade She took in laundry and ironing to support herself and her extended family. About 70 years later, Ms. McCarty retired and stunned a local university by donating $150,000 to fund scholarships. Her generosity became contagious. Donors added to the fund, pushing it to half a million dollars. Ms. McCarty's actions even inspired CNN founder Ted Turner to give away a billion dollars. I admire her charity. I'm also equally amazed by the self-restraint that allowed her to save so much over all of those decades. She not only understood that time is money, she recognized that discipline and patience are key to saving and investing. Which brings me to the five pieces of advice I'd like to share. Grab your parents because some of this applies to them. First, lucky you, you're 22. Time is on your side. Your youth provides the opportunity to build wealth. This is simple math. If you don't want to take my word for it, take Albert Einstein's, who said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. One of the tried and true ways to compound money is by investing in the stock market. That's not a feeling, it's a historical fact. Since opening in 1896, There is no 25-year period when the S&P 500 has lost money, not one. Over decades, time has equaled money. For example, if someone from my 1991 graduating class had committed to putting just $1 a day, $30 a month, into the stock market, that investment would be worth just shy of $40,000 today. $30 a month is the equivalent of a Soul Cycle class or a couple of Uber rides. One Jimmy Choo shoe pays for the whole year. If you can get used to living on less, you can someday have more. Whatever you start with, the seed will grow. Now, I went to college when grunge was big and living small was easier. Trust me, Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder were not trying to keep up with the Kardashians. No one wore nice clothes. Oversized shirts, and ripped jeans were everywhere. There was solidarity in our schlumpiness. We were lucky that we didn't have today's pressure to look camera-ready all the time. These days, social media promotes the idea that everyone leads the glamorous life. That's a nod to Sheila E., who, by the way, played drums sometimes with Prince. It's also a song that concludes, love is forever while money only pays the rent," which reminds me, you're going to need a place to live. Number two. This advice is for anyone who landed back home. Maybe your job fell through. Maybe it's safer for you there. Maybe you're helping an elderly family member. We're all improvising these days. But set a date, perhaps a year from now, or choose a specific age, and pledge to yourself right now that after that date, you will not ask your parents for money. Wait, I think I can actually hear your parents applauding right now. Now, going home wasn't an option for me. My graduation gift from my mom was two outfits from Ann Taylor to replace the grunge. And from that point on, I was on my own. Every decision was mine to make. Scary, sure. Liberating, that too. I had a sense of independence, which turned into a sense of accomplishment that many of my peers didn't have. So set a firm date to become responsible for everything everything except maybe your health insurance. Write it down and start to make a plan. Do this for your parents and for yourself. I promise it will give you a new appreciation for the sacrifices others have made for you. It will also teach you to value money in a very different way. Three, this is a story about a very special couch. After working at Ariel for a few years, I'd saved enough money to buy my first apartment. It was an 850 square foot, one bedroom in a great location. I put down everything I had in order to get approved for a mortgage. That left no money for furniture. Still, I had my eye on a couch, a really nice couch. I started to save up. I talked about this couch so much that my friends started rooting for me to hit my goal. Couch in 96 became a running joke. It wasn't easy. I'd be so close to having the money, and then a friend would ask me to donate to a worthy cause. I'd pony up and secretly think to myself, but my couch. It never dawned on me to just buy furniture on credit. In my mind, I had to pay cash. Eventually, I saved enough. I bought my cherished couch. And since I lived near my office, I'd go visit my sofa at lunchtime. True story. I'd lay on it or stand across the room and just look at it. It was the only thing in the living room. I valued that couch because it helped me to understand the direct relationship between spending money and earning it. Some call credit cards weapons of mass destruction because you can spend money you don't have. Doing the math taught me to avoid credit card debt. Minimums should never be the baseline. They should be the worst case scenario. Otherwise, the interest can be really expensive. My recommendation to you is to only have one credit card and always know the balance as well as the interest rate. If you've already collected several cards, try playing a game of rock plastic scissors. Don't fall into the buy it now, pay for it later trap. I don't think I could enjoy a vacation if I knew I'd be paying it off two years after I watched my last sunset on the beach. Everything worth having is worth waiting for. I mean Everything. A great souffle takes about an hour. A healthy baby, about nine months. My beloved couch took me about two years. One trick that helped me figure out the value of a purchase was to look beyond the price. Instead of just considering the numbers on a tag, I would calculate how many hours or days I'd have to work to pay for any item or experience. This told me how much I had to bleed for something, a perspective that changed how I valued everything I bought. Financial literacy starts with awareness. Do you know your monthly cell phone bill? How much money is in your wallet, your checking account? If you don't, you're stunting your own financial growth. Which brings me to number four. Even in normal times, a lot of graduates face uncertainty about the future. But this year, as we all know, is one for the record books. For those of you who lost your job or your internship or were planning to travel, You probably feel adrift in this unexpected free time. But time isn't free. It's valuable. I watch my six-year-old, and she's always exploring. She's in first grade. In addition to being fluent in Chinese, she now also studies Spanish. Over the past two months, when not engaged in her daily distance learning, she's been learning to knit, play checkers, ride a scooter. If this were a resume, we would say she's expanding her skill set you can do the exact same thing. Up until now, you've been in a structured environment, finishing assignments while professors assessed your work. What will you do now when no one is looking? It takes discipline to create your own structure. It's also quite exciting. Maybe you were a little disappointed that you never got to take a computer programming course. Find an online class and do it now. Learn Photoshop, keep studying a foreign language, Write a novel or at least read a novel. Devote time to becoming more financially literate. Whittle! Use this time to explore, absorb, and be productive. When my husband was starting out, he made a pact with himself to do one thing every day that furthered his goal of becoming a director. He would meet someone or study the construction of a scene or watch a movie and dissect what made it good or bad. Try setting goals that you can work toward every day. Wasting time is like wasting money. This found time can offer a remarkable opportunity if you seize it. And if you don't, I guarantee there's someone else getting ahead while you're standing still. Number five, America is the most charitable nation in the world. That's obvious from all the fundraising campaigns and emails that we get asking for help. Now, supporting a charity financially might not be realistic for you. I get it. But once again, you can substitute money with time. My niece is a public school teacher. She told me that after finishing her online classes, she feels compelled to do additional tutoring with kids who are struggling without a classroom structure. She said the days are really hard, but the kids need us. There are things you can do from home. Calling the elderly, writing postcards to remind people to vote, helping out on a crisis hotline. Put yourself out there and you'll discover Kindness is its own currency, except unlike money, it compounds the more you spend it. I hope all this money talk wasn't too awkward. I hope it also inspires you to start a conversation with family and friends. I promise it's not tacky, it's necessary. Peace of mind does not come from the amount of money you have, but from the amount of knowledge you have to make wise decisions. And if you just do a couple of these things, it will make a huge difference over the long term. My dream is that you get to have everything you need and want. That may not mean your own island, although if you really want one and you're willing to work for it, I say go for it. And here's one final thought. Every college graduate has to make an adjustment from school to real life. It just so happens you're doing it at a time when we're all adjusting. We didn't have a choice to accept this challenge, But we do have a choice to make the most of it. I've talked about valuing money, and I've also talked about valuing time. One bright spot to this crisis is that it reminds us to value people. We're applauding first responders, waving at bus drivers, thanking postal workers, cheering for nurses. Many of those who were routinely ignored are now fully appreciated. We understand that the worker stocking the grocery shelf is essential, we now truly see the checkout person. Of course, this lesson comes at a terrible price. It also comes at a pivotal moment in your lives, which means there's a greater chance you'll hold on to it. Like the depression era babies who internalize the use it up, wear it out mantra. Let the ability to appreciate every soul become a part of you. Cherish humanity, yours and others. If we can all hold on to this perspective, We will have gained something from this pandemic, which has taken so much, including your commencement ceremony. I end by wishing you good luck and a good life.